From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fire some freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. What's up, crew? Welcome to another Clover Tack Podcast, June 8th, 20. 22 as people kind of file in live here as we are recording just a reminder to those that are out there in the audio podcast world maybe watching in youtube or some other platform on replay that if you do catch wind of these in time to come in live well that gives you the opportunity to ask questions uh, of our guests as well as vote in the polls and a lot of the other cool things that the live audience has a chance to participate in we do have a poll out there so i want to mention that right off the bat how often do you get out on the range and practice defensive shooting skills not plinking around having fun uh, competitions or anything like that defensive shooting skills uh, got weekly monthly every few months and hardly ever sadly we've got nine percent on hardly ever uh, but most everybody looks like 67 percent right now on monthly 25 percent on every few months i think that's acceptable uh, of course our guest may have a different opinion and we'll certainly get his opinion on it but uh, we'll check in on that poll as time goes on we'll close that out before the end of the podcast so make sure that if you are following in here live uh, you answer that. Uh, yes, we're going to be talking with Mick from Carry Trainer today uh, and uh, talking about all different types of things training. Now, we will be referencing carrytrainer.com, I'm sure. Uh, and I've got a link for that wherever you're watching, listening. It's down below. Uh, so make sure that you uh, click on that. You can follow along uh, or check it out after the podcast. Choice is yours. Uh, one final thing before we bring in our guest. Is thanks as always to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, those that super chat, those that um, super thanks, those that shop at clovertack.com slash shop because uh, these podcasts are not, at least on the YouTube side of things, monetized. So every little bit of that helps keep these things going. Uh, with that out of the way, let's get uh, Mick in the house. How are you today, man? Good morning, sir. Good to uh, Good to have you on. Uh, yeah, we were talking uh, kind of behind the scenes there that, uh, unfortunately, while a lot of the viewers and followers, when I posted this, uh, was coming up, are uh, fans of yours, followers, viewers of yours. Uh, I am not, was uh, was unaware. You're not on my radar. So what I'd like to do is give you the floor for a few minutes and um, just talk to us, tell us uh, who is Mick, where you come from, how have you... Uh, uh, graduated into carry trainer before we talk about the training and some of the other aspects. Let's get to know Mick a little bit. Tell us your story, Thanks, man. Well, I don't fault you for uh, not following or knowing who I am. There's uh, way too much stuff in the world to pay attention to everything. So right. uh, gl glad, glad to meet you now. Uh, my, my dovetail, I guess, into this space is taking what, many i won't say all oftentimes we say uh we like to make these blanket statements like everyone or everybody but i will say many people in this space try to make uh combatives really is what we're talking about mm -hmm. try to make it complicated mythical uh, it's not 
It's uh, something humans have done uh, between e each other for all of time. Uh, Cain and Abel, right? Picked up right. a rock and bashed his brother's head in, so the good book says. So uh, we have been fighting amongst ourselves for all of time. So my, my way of looking at it is taking uh, known data, and there's tons of it out there, and making it digestible and relatable to everyday people so that they can go on and live long, full lives, hoping that they'll never need the stuff that we teach, but um, having it, having it at the ready if they need it. So uh, that's what we do. How I got into that is kind of a long road, but uh, not a complicated one, nor is it a uh, super storied uh, story. It's uh, kind of the route that a lot of people get it, get into. Uh, I was stirred to do it by the loss of a loved one that was murdered. Uh, this is many years ago, and maybe that's something we get into. Maybe it's not, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the long and the short of it. You know, and I think that a lot of folks get uh, you'll know, get thrust into you know firearms, the firearm culture, self defense, the Second Amendment, those sort of things. Um, I talk about all the time when we're when we're reaching out, we've got a, an issue sometimes in this community where well, we've got those that are real hardened on the shall not be infringed. They they stand their ground firm and they want to scream that instead of entering into conversations with other people that they may may consider anti two A, right? And one of the things that I always tell them is you gotta kinda have some patience. You want to plant that seed of freedom and second amendment and self-independence and reliance and self-defense in them um, that their experiences in life will kind of move them one way or another. Right. So yeah. if, if they experience something like, like you're talking about, you experienced, then they may have that to fall back on that happens in their life. And they'll go, wait a minute. I talked to a guy several years ago and he said that, you know, situations like this, we need to, you know, be self-reliant, right? We need to be, uh, what is yours, your, uh, your motto, uh, be your own Calvary, right? Yes, um, sir. And so, um, I don't think that's uncommon. You're, you're free to talk about that story if you want to. Um, I like, I like stories like that because there's a lot of them before we do that though. I do want to press you on one thing. Um, as far as being a firearm owner or did you grow up around firearms or your lifelong uh, firearm owner, what what does that look like in your past? My father was not a gun owner. He's a city boy. My mom moved us out to the country. I grew up on a small hobby farm raising goats and chickens and turkeys and, you know, was nice. a 4-H kid. Right. Uh, and so most of my friends were hunters and fishermen, and, and as was I. I, I was gifted uh, an 870 on my 12th birthday. Nice. And a uh, family friend, a guy that was a mentor of mine, his name's Bob Stolberg. So if Bob ever hears this, uh, it was a very meaningful gift. That gun is still uh, at my home in the in the gun safe. My son has taken deer with it. My nephew's taken deer with it. Uh, we've all shot uh, grouse, pheasants, ducks with it, and a million clays, uh, basic 870. But that little gun taught me a ton about responsibility. I wasn't allowed to just run around the neighborhood with it, right. but um, it was something I had access to. It was locked up. Uh, I had the key to it though, and I used it for many years and, and used it to teach my little brothers. 
Uh, I was the oldest boy of, of 11 kids. My parents had 11 and a uh, huge family. But uh, I just told this story yesterday in a discussion. That shotgun, when it came into the home, it was the first gun probably any man in my family since World War II. Most of the guys in my family are not gun owners like the older gentleman. I have one uncle that is. And so uh, it was kind of an anomaly and I took it very seriously. Actually, I became a hunter safety instructor at one point for the Department nice. of Natural Resources here in, in our state. But uh, the story I told yesterday was I took that gun and a cinder block and a big pumpkin out of mom's garden. And <laughs> I think uh, a fence post, if memory serves, like a big eight inch round fence post right. and a bunch of like random crap like that. And I set it out on the ground and I grabbed all my little brothers at the time. There was probably uh, four or five of them. And we put ear pro on and I loaded up some Brennicky slugs. 12 gauge slugs. I remember throwing wow. in that thing and, and I shot all of those things, the, the brick and the pumpkin. And of course they all were decimated and it was kind of a lesson for all of us. This thing will destroy whatever you pointed at. And, uh, I did that as my own kids were born. I would show them the awesome power of what a firearm's capable of, not to make them scared of it, but, but to build a level of respect and understanding Right. Uh, in what the potential uh, uh, damage that could be done with the with the gun in improper usage could be. So long, long answer to your question. But yes, basically my whole life, I've got a sad story about I am blind in this eye from some neighborhood kids as boys not having the same level of care with uh, firearms. A kid wow. shot me in the face uh, with a BB gun when I was a kid. It sounds so stupid, but um one of those dumb stories where the person didn't think the thing was loaded when in fact it was, mm -hmm. it put me in the hospital. And, uh, to this day, there's a BB about two inches into my head, but it, wow. it caused, it caused a hole in my retina to form. And, uh, you know, that too, that kind of experience, uh, while it's just a BB gun, like I don't go around and say I'm a gunshot victim or something. Like that. <laughs> right. It put, it put me in a hospital. It uh, could have killed me. It altered the course of my life. Uh, I had plans to do things uh, that required an, two good eyes, so that that changed that pretty quick. But um, that single errant decision by a young man, it changed my life and his uh, mentally, physically, and, and emotionally for him and financially in a lot of ways, too. It cost uh, six figures of, of hospital bills for something that stupid, so... Most of my life, I have had a a very healthy uh, relationship with dangerous things. And, you know, you, you bring up a good point when you talk about that. I, I've heard several first-time firearm owners talk about, um, you know, they go out and that first, the first shot is overwhelming because they don't really know what to expect, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it's like just sex. the... A little bit. And it's so it's that awesome power, right? It's literally an explosion going off in your hands. But then you realize that you've controlled that, right? 
uh, if you're safe, if you're responsible, if you're doing all these things. And there's a certain amount of confidence. I, I've spent about uh, two decades in you shooting sports with with kids, right? Mm-hmm. And they're awestruck when they realize that they have that power. You, you know, you, you, obviously the destructive capability, a lot of the other things that go with it, but the sheer power, right? And that mm-hmm. you're able to wield that and control that, right? If you're if you're safe, if you're trained, if you practice all of these things. Um, and that's an awesome thing for, for confidence. And I'm sure we'll get into it a little later on when we talk about the training, but I'm sure confidence plays a big role in, uh, in training. Correct. hundred percent. hundred percent. We use the phrase exposure equals composure. Like the more, the more you're exposed to a thing, the more you can be composed. The, the caveat and something I, I make a comparison to driving. Driving is the same thing as a firearm. Uh, a, yes movement or group of movements that can be quite dangerous. It can be fun. It can be scary. It can be relaxing. You know, you can do, uh, you can use a car for work or a vehicle. You can use it to uh, like a motorcycle to go find enjoyment, just cruising through the countryside. So it can be used for various things. And sometimes through improper training though, we we get composed uh, when we shouldn't be. For example, Almost anybody listening to this has looked at their phone while driving or texted while driving. Right, or, right. And, and anybody that says they haven't is probably a liar. They may that's be doing problem. it right now, by the way. Right. Stop. Stop that, doing that. That's true. And that's a perfect example of being composed when you shouldn't be. Right. And I think like a story I, I, or not even a story, but just a scenario I bring up is you're driving, you're playing with your phone, you almost hit a mailbox or a parked car, or you almost rear end somebody. What do you do? You take your phone, you whip it onto the floor, like, like it bit you, right? Like it's a snake and you're mad at it. And then you're like, I'm never going to do this. You're back at 10 and two, right? You're, you're focused. You're not going to, you're not going to kill yourself and you can't believe how stupid you are. And then by the next stoplight, what are you doing? You're reaching down onto the floor mat to get that, that phone back because you've already forgotten how stupid it is. So there's a, there's a, definite mindset in a series of choices that have to go hand in hand whenever you're doing anything that's dangerous, firearm, vehicles, ladders, whatever. Uh, and every time somebody gets hurt, what do they usually tell you? Man, I always pay attention, but this for the split second, I right. looked away or I did. The, and that's what it always is. I was in construction most of my entire life and I've seen guys fall off ladders. I've seen guys run saws across their hands, saws across yep. their legs. I've seen dudes push dirt in on guys in holes. I've seen dudes push walls over with big, uh, big forklifts and things like that. And every single time, uh, man, I've never had an issue until you do. Right. Yep. So it's like, yep. it's, there's a, there's more to it than even good training or being careful. It's a, uh, constant vigilance, mm-hmm. which yeah. kind of goes hand in hand with everything that guys like us think about. I would, I would say. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, a, a story for me, I'm, I'm nursing a, a, a cut on my thumb. I mm. uh, was washing some dishes yesterday. My wife's got this wicked blender. The blade in it is crazy. And I know it is super sharp. I know you got to be really, really careful with the stupid thing, especially with soapy water in hands and it slips and you can't grab it. You let it fall. Mm. Don't try to grab it. Uh, And was in a hurry yesterday cleaning up some dishes and and sliced my thumb smooth open with it. It was just one of those issues. My fault. I knew better. 
Uh, I respected what it was. I knew that it would it would hurt me if I didn't and uh, wasn't paying attention. So, uh, unfortunately, it uh, you know that that is a lot. There's a lot of truth in that. Um, now, before we get into certainly want to get into uh, into carrier training, kind of talk about some of the programs that you run and other things. Uh, I want to backtrack. I want to go back to that personal story you had that kind of set the wheels in motion for this. If you don't mind sharing that, we would love to hear it. I will. Um, I will predicate the story with, uh, I don't want anybody to ever think I'm using this story for anything other than a lesson. If nobody ever pays me a red cent, uh, I would tell this story to remember uh, the person. Her name was Beth. Uh, so I don't, I, I never especially want anybody to think that I'm using this as some way to promote myself or business. That's not the case. And sure. if it ever comes off that way, I'll, I'll take myself off the internet immediately. I understand. Uh, for, for me, for me, I think these personal stories, uh, while sometimes for the people are difficult to share, I understand that. Um, I think they're also important because there may be other people out there that are sharing the same experiences as well. So, yeah, uh, I don't I don't think you're alone. Uh, no, I don't. I, 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 I'm definitely not alone. I just don't want uh, I hear you. anybody to misconstrue <laughs> the the yeah. message. Yeah. So I guess even before I tell that story, I'll I'll go to the present and then I'll go back. Uh, the recent president about 10 years ago. So my state of Illinois was the last state in the union to pass any type of legislation pertaining to concealed carry. Maybe during the podcast, we can talk about that. But it pissed me off that my state had no means to lawfully carry a firearm for self-protection. We can argue and say that uh, concealed carry laws are anti-constitutional. You can have that discussion. But at, I guess at this point in the discussion, I would say as a father a husband, a business owner, a taxpayer, a, a law-abiding citizen, it really pissed me off. And having several experiences in my life uh, where violence was inflicted on me or on others, it was something I cared about. So I ultimately ended up getting deeply involved in the firearm lobby and legis legislative side of things to change gun laws here in my region and in my state. And I still work on some of that stuff. Nice. And why i had this sense several things have happened in my life um one during that that time one of my little brothers uh, a female a friend of his a girl that i knew from the time she was little her name was francis cologne this was the uh the later of the two stories that i'll briefly share I grew up in the city of Chicago. She was uh, awarded the Roberto Clemente Award, I do believe, which is a award wow. that uh, gives her a scholarship. She was given that by uh, President Obama, I do believe is how the story went. And she was on her way home from school one day and was uh, brutally murdered needlessly for her belongings by some drug tweaker wow. this is a kid that just started college she's got nothing uh, i don't believe that a firearm would have been the instant fix to that i'm not the kind of person that just thinks that being armed makes you safer uh, but i had her grandma up on stage uh, who's a dear friend of my mother she lived with her grandmother uh, tell that story just days after it happened uh, as we were trying to motivate people to create some change in our state. 
So that's story number one. She's worth looking up and remembering. Francis Cologne, resident of uh, Humboldt Park, a neighborhood in Chicago. The second, the second story was a, a much more meaningful experience to me because of my age. I was 15 years old at the time. My family friend, her name was Beth Bosworth. Beth uh, was one of those kind of family friends that uh, was the kid that was always with us. We went to school together. She was my older sister's best friend. She spent holidays at our house, uh, was always over after school. We were in different kind of club activities and things like that together. So we saw her as much as you would see any any child uh, that's not your sibling, like on the daily. And one day I was visiting some friends on the other side of town and my mother called and said, you need to come home. And I said, why? You know, I'm hanging out. I'm having fun. And she said, uh, Beth was in an accident. And I said, what, what do you mean? And this is, you know, long before the days of cell phones. So my right. friend's mother, mother called me in to say, your mom's on the phone. We were out screwing around riding our bikes or something. And she let me know that Beth had perished in a house fire the night before. Wow. And I remember my, my father was a minister. I was involved in all types of funeral services. So death was not something new. I had sat at that point in my life in the hospital with various people as they as they passed away so it wasn't um it wasn't the the death of the person that was so shocking but that it was somebody so young and close to me I, anybody that had died at that point in my life had been a an old person right everybody's old right when 15 years old and ultimately what we found out is the house that she was in did burn except what had happened was a neighbor had pounded on the door uh, probably she let him in and he brutally raped her and stabbed her dozens and dozens of times. Wow. Where she barricaded herself in a bathroom as he, he lit the house on fire after his uh, deed to try to hide his, uh, his sins, so to speak. She was babysitting her 18-month, maybe old nephew, who was saved from the fire by a neighbor uh, and is, is alive and well today. She, uh, due to the punctures in her chest cavity was not able to scream so the firemen didn't know she was in there they found her uh, after the fire was put out barricaded in the bathroom wow. and what was so crazy about this story uh, i sat through the court proceedings the shithead that murdered her i apologize for my foul language if it's not allowed uh, he uh, his name was dale kalki he was a volunteer fireman uh, didn't appear to be like a bad dude but got in a, like a drug and alcohol induced uh, state and decided he had to have this teenage girl. So he went and did it. And what was interesting, the sheriff's detectives that found him, there was no evidence. And this is, you know, people see like crime shows and they think these guys go in there with blue lights and laser right. beams and computers and they figure stuff out. It really comes down to smart people finding clues and and or it comes down to somebody talking and what these deputies did they started canvassing the neighborhood and where i live this was not a normal kind of thing not that the murder of children's ever normal but this wasn't chicago this wasn't philadelphia this wasn't la or someplace where, where um there's enough of this stuff that goes on we live in a uh, fairly rural community at the time this is 30 years ago now but right. um it was not, it shocked the, the community and people wanted answers. So these detectives started canvassing the neighborhood where this happened and they were going door to door and they 
they created this narrative. They'd knock on the door. Hi, this is Detective so-and-so from the sheriff's office. We're trying to find out if you have any information about what happened uh, to this girl. And people would say no. And they'd say, well, you know, we just feel there has to be some kind of explanation. There has to be some good reason this happened. And people would say, what the heck are you talking about? There's no good reason this happened. This is horrible. Right. And they'd go on to the next house. And eventually they get to a house and they give this little pitch. And this dude says, yeah, you're right. There does have to be a good reason. And they went bingo. And they started snooping around a little bit, got a search warrant. And this was just a couple of days after the uh, the, uh, incident, they find bloody clothes and a pocket knife and all the evidence they wow. needed to, to arrest this guy. But the, the way it worked out, he recently just died in prison. I mean, it, ru it ruined lives. It altered the course of, uh, of life for many people, including my sister, um, who deeply affected as a 17 year old girl at the time, it deeply affected many people, uh, as does anything horrific like that. But, uh, those types of instances, and there's others, uh, that, that I could share started to create a mindset in me where I thought we can't control everything, of course, but what can we do to kind of shore up or bolster the, uh, the chances that we have in these situations when when evil pays us a visit a visit pardon me right if that makes sense no it makes makes total sense um and oops i put my my face on the screen didn't want to do that but uh i want to want to stop want to mention a couple things real quick we're going to be moving forward uh carrytrainer.com Again, it's down in the description below. We've got the poll out there. So if you are live, make sure you're voting in that. How often do you get out on the range and practice defensive shooting skills? Weekly, monthly, every few months, hardly ever. Hardly ever up to 18% now, which uh, uh, is a little disheartening. we got to get those folks out more, I think. Um, and, um, yeah, if you've got questions for Mick as we move forward, uh, drop those out there, and uh, we definitely will will address them. Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of the precursor. Thanks for sharing that, Mick. Uh, I'm sure we we all appreciate that. Um, so precursor to carry trainer, and so when I jump over on the side, and I think before I even jumped over on the side, I think when I used the Google Foo and looked it up, um, I seen uh, holistic holistic approach to self defense and firearm training. I think was the line that I seen, um, and that. The, using the word holistic, I was like, okay, this is weird. What are they doing? Yoga while they're training? What's what's the deal here? Um, so Maybe. can you can you explain the theory behind the way that you approach your, your training sessions? Sure. Um, you know, the word holistic doesn't mean yoga, but uh, I do have some yoga videos for <laughs> shooters. Just, just, uh, nice. I do, nice. I, I do enjoy yoga. Um, Holistic, characterized by comprehension of the parts of something as intimately interconnected and explicable only by reference to the whole. I just looked that up on my phone so I could read the proper definition. But I think we have to start with what's the goal, right? Um, if you train with a firearm, we're not on YouTube right now, right? Uh, we are. So I can hold this up, but you're not streaming through YouTube, right? Uh, no, we're streaming through StreamYard. You should be good. Okay. 
so the reason we train with these guns is to get some result, right? The result might be fun. It might be to shoot a sporting clay out of the air. It might be to shoot game. It might be to protect yourself. Uh, it might be to be offensive in nature. You might be a soldier or sailor or, or some type of, of uh, military person that is using the weapon in an offensive manner. So there's a purpose. And I think we need to identify that purpose before we begin. If we can't, it's just like getting in your car and telling the GPS, take me somewhere. Where's somewhere? How do I get there? Or if, if you ask somebody, can you please tell me how to get there? They'd say, where is there? And you'd say, there, you know, take me there. Give me a map to there. It makes, <laughs> right. it, may, it makes no sense, but that's usually what happens. So I think to properly answer your question, I would have the quick discussion of how I start every class. If we can okay. imagine everybody's hanging out, uh, we're circled up on the range or in a classroom and I, we've got done all the introductions and I say, okay, uh, why are you here? And I could say, uh, I could say to you, Chris, like, why are you here? Why are you here training? And, and you would respond normally with something like, uh, I want to get better at shooting. I would respond with what's better look like. And you would respond by saying, well, I want to shoot faster. And I'd say, define faster. And you'd say, well, um, I want to be able to uh, shoot more quickly. And I'd say, well, define that. What's the distance to target? What's the size of the target? What's the split times from shot to shot? What's the first shot onto target time? Uh, and then we'd maybe start to define some of those parameters. And then I would ask, why? Why do you want to do that? Uh, and then that's where people either start to have the wheels fall off or they already have wow. specific answers. And right. so in reality, for most of us, the more we dig down, it's we want to be able to win in a fight. Okay, why? I would ask again, why? Why do you want to win in a fight? Because I don't want to die. Okay, why don't you want to die? Or why don't you want your loved ones to die? And this sounds stupid, but there's a point here. And eventually, the point is because you dig living. You like being alive. You want to live as long as possible, as long as you can. And when you get to that end result of just saying the words out loud. Yeah, I don't want to die. I want to win. I want my family to live. I want people around me to live. We begin to craft a, um, a narrative around, okay, what should our training look like? So from this holistic approach, the training, everything that I do in it should support that outcome. The outcome being to live a long, full life. Mm -hmm. And now we can, you could, you could, hear this and say, no, I don't care about that. I just want to win a competition or I want to go win this guy's little challenge coin that says I'm good shooter and pat <laughs> myself on the back. And right. there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If that's your goal, I personally could care less about that. I don't need to win a coin or a trophy. And I have friends that are some of the best shooters on the planet. Uh, people that are national and world champions with pistols and rifles and shotguns. So that's cool. If that's what you want to do, some people want to do that. I, I want to invest energy in developing skills, abilities, mindsets, habits uh, that support me winning. And so the holistic approach means that if we take a step back, now we're going to start to look at what we eat, not that I'm teaching people how to eat, but it's something that does come up. Right. Because if you if you live and have this mindset that you train hard with this thing so that you can live 
through violence, but you die of a heart attack at 48, that doesn't jive. You have some type of, of uh, break in your system that you're telling me that you're trying to, to train to live, but you're doing something to kill yourself. I've smoked cigarettes in my life. I don't bust mm-hmm. people's chops for smoking. But if I see you smoking on the range with me, I know you're not serious about living. You're serious about shooting. You're not serious about living. If you're eating garbage at lunch, I can tell you're not serious about living. You're serious about training with guns. And so we could keep extrapolating this. And now somebody could listen to me say this and they says they could say, hey, man, I didn't come here or sign up for your class to hear you <laughs> preach about what's in my lunch pail. Right. But that is the message, though. If we are going sure. to have this true path and that's what we're we're doing we're choosing a path a path that leads us to winning mm-hmm. and if we're honest about it the odds are none of us even a, even a cop in the big city in a big city in america will never go uh or will never draw his firearm and shoot somebody maybe they draw the gun but chances are most cops, and I'm just using them as an example because they have much more exposures to the possibility of needing right. to deploy a firearm. The chances are most of us will never need that. It doesn't mean don't have the skill. So let's right. add to that some more talking about the holistic approach. So you want to live a long, full life and be capable and useful to others around you. And I don't mean everybody because we don't, I'm not going to risk my life to save a stranger. And right. in the bar, in the bargain, allow my wife and kids to die. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's there's always a hierarchy of needs. Doesn't mean I wouldn't risk my life to save, save a stranger, but I'm not going to let my wife or child or grandchild perish to save your ass. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. So, no. Totally. So we we decide these things ahead of time, but then what happens if I don't have a gun? You know, we all fly or most of us do or go to ball games or courthouses or hospitals or a million places that you can't be armed. Do you have the ability to be aware? Do you have the ability and are you on the regular creating plans of action, not as a paranoid person, but as a thinking person, a person that's goal is to live? Do you have a plan on uh what to do if the fire alarm goes off or uh, right. some madman comes in with a gun. Eventually you build a system in your head where this stuff happens so quick that as you move into a restaurant, a theater, a church, uh, wherever, as you are moving through these spaces, there is a background program running just like our computers have a bunch of programs running that you are deciding these things. If somebody comes through that door, I can go that way. There is a weapon of opportunity. I have a weapon of opportunity right here, a big monster mug, right? We start making these kinds of choices so that in the moment, we don't have to sort them out. Do we have open hand skills? Can I put hands on somebody if I if I need to? Do I have the ability to render real medical aid? Do I have CPR? I'm an EMT and a CPR instructor because... I've had to in my life uh, give or apply medical interventions to loved ones and or strangers numerous times. I've never had to put a bullet into another person. That's a telling indicator, uh, at least for me, but I think for others as well. Every one of us has seen a car accident. Not every one of us has seen a gunshot victim. Every one of us has seen somebody or seen an ambulance drive by with somebody in it that needs help. 
not everybody here has seen a robbery or uh, some type of violent crime take place. So uh, just the law of probability uh, would indicate that we need to be looking at some of these things more holistically. So that's a long-winded answer. I hope that that got it for you. You know what I like to, you know, I like the way that that you're approaching that by by narrowing things down. It's created a lot of, by the way, if you're listening to this in video or audio replay, uh, we do have live chat where you can participate. We've got some questions for Mick, and, and we will get to those. So just uh, stand by on that. But when you were talking about that earlier, it it seemed to create a, a little bit of controversy or something. I'm going to read a couple of these comments, Mick, and then I'm going to give sort of what struck me when you were talking about, um, you know, setting you know setting the goals and then narrowing all of that down. But uh, we've got Ghost out there. He says pretty critical assumptions. Said I wonder if he's e- if he's eating a burger. Just a conversation starter. Can, uh, can I respond to that real quick? Um, yeah, I've got a few more along the same veins. If you want to handle them all at, at once, we can okay. do that. Sure, please. It's your um, show. It's your show. Yeah. And then G Web says folks living their first life might not understand what it's like to still be living after a second or third situation where they should not have survived on paper. It's kind of hard to decide who wants to live. And then G-Webs goes on uh, down here. I can't get to it probably. Yeah, here it is. Uh, He says longevity versus quality uh, are not the same. Uh, Yeah, I'll let you go ahead. You can address that, Mick, and then I'll I'll, I'll follow up too. I specifically stated a long, full life. I did not say a long life. I said a long, full life. And now I also said that might not be the person's goal. Person's goal could be to be a badass shooter. That's on you. I don't get to tell you what to be, but if you're coming to me, this is what I teach. And now the next thing about it, if you're going to somebody to learn, well, let me go back a step. We all don't know what we don't know. Uh, I practiced jujitsu. Every class, I learned something new. I didn't know it until I was taught it. So eat cheeseburger. I love cheeseburgers. I eat meat almost every day. There's a difference between McDonald's and something that's healthy. There's also nothing wrong with having uh, junk food from time to time, but I'm talking about somebody that it's their way of life. Uh, I'm also not picking on somebody. If somebody wants to be 500 pounds overweight and die of a heart attack at 30, that's on you. I don't care. That's your journey. That's your life. That's not critical. Um, Here's what I know. If you're listening right now, think about this. Could you pick one of your loved ones up or just say a hundred pound person, which is what a teenage girl, a small woman, a a teenage boy. Could you pick that person up and move them a hundred yards? Yes or no. The next thing, could somebody pick you up and move you a hundred yards? And now God made us all different shapes and sizes. But what I mean by that is we can train to be the most badass rescuers uh in town are we is our body something that is capable of being rescued uh my father worked for a funeral home for years and uh, kind of a morbid discussion but he would go out and and bring the deceased back to the funeral home uh, right. he did it like as part-time work and they would have people that were three four five six hundred pounds where people were having a chainsaw doors down to get people out talk to any fireman uh, in any community and they'll tell you stories of uh, having to deal with people like that i have worked in emergency rooms as a tech and you get people that come in like like in the condition that they are immobile uh, 
uh, it's tough. Now, some people ha- are born with uh, deficiencies, with birth defects. People have disease, age. So that this isn't meant to be critical or to point fingers at people. We all make choices every day. The things mm-hmm. we eat, the, the amount of exercise we do or don't do, it's a choice. Uh, so by smoking, you're saying, I don't want to live. No, I'm saying by smoking, you're making a conscious choice to limit life. And this isn't me picking on you. It's a fact. I mean, it's a, we know that if you smoke cigarettes, you limit your cardiovascular health. You are doing, it's the number one thing that uh, causes cancer that we have control over. I've lost m- multiple family members to cancer uh, both of those people were longtime smokers. And the point of the discussion isn't for me to tell people how to live. It's to motivate people to say you can make choices that can affect a better outcome for for yourself based on what it is you want. If you want to smoke and eat McDonald's every day and uh, that's what you choose to do, I could care less. Right. Yeah, and I and I think you I think you prefaced that when you were talking about kind of deducing those goals down earlier, and and it it's at the end of the day it comes back to it comes back to a thing of just being honest with yourself. Like there, there's nothing wrong with you know doing something that you enjoy, as G Webs had pointed out earlier, the whole qual- uh, quantity versus quality type thing. If you really get enjoyment out of doing something that may limit you know, your lifespan or whatever, just be honest with yourself that you're not doing everything that you can possibly do to live as long as you can possibly live. It's just a, it's just being honest with yourself. And that's for the individual to decide. That's exactly. for the individual yeah. to decide. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 that's not, that's not my goal is to tell people you should want to be a hundred <laughs> years old. That's right. not my goal. Um, but no, I, I do believe sometimes we don't take an honest look at some of those things. And it's easy to fixate on one area and not the other. Again, right. if you're relying on a firearm to keep you safe, most of the men that I train with are quite capable of taking a gun away from most people. That's uh, if it's what you do. Most, and I know men, I've got a, two friends have sat at my kitchen table that were shot in the face. Uh, one of them was shot seven times. You can look wow. these guys up. They both chew. They both still drink, meaning that their faces still work. They're both alive and well. So just because you, and they both killed the men that attacked them. So uh, the gun itself doesn't create the will to live. The gun itself doesn't create the fight. The gun itself doesn't create the fighter. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's grab a couple of, of questions here. Mick, and then we'll we'll continue on talking about the training and, and some other things. Uh, she fires out there, which is one of the um, uh, one of the folks that had commented and said that she was a, uh, uh, a longtime follower of yours and all that. He says with uh, with the eye impairment and those that come in early may have missed that. So, in answering your question, you can uh, repeat that if you need to. Mick it says with uh, the eye impairment, um, how did you push through and train to now offer your your training program. So how does that, how did that affect you as far as the training? That's a really good question. Um, I still got one good eye. So <laughs> I, I, I guess I don't put much thought into it. I shoot a pistol right-handed. I mean, we all should be training with using both hands, but um, 
I run a long gun since I was a teenager off my left shoulder. I do okay. have a couple of ARs with some high mounts so that I can put the gun onto my right shoulder for certain drills uh, and, and roll the gun nice. over into my left eye. I uh, got that from Mike Pannone, who's also missing an eye. But um, truth be told, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I taught myself to shoot a bow left-handed. I, I grew up shooting a, wow. a bow right-handed as a right-handed person. That took me a long time. I tore my arms up. So uh, wow. it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, I think if you want something and you want to do something. Yeah, I, mean, I got to respond right? to Ghost Tactical here one more time. I'm not making blanket, blanket statements. I'm stating facts and I'm not I didn't name anybody in particular. So I think if we hear something and it, and it resonates with us or it sets off a, a buzzer or a, a, a maybe a flare and we mm -hmm. feel like, uh, you know, you're, we're being attacked or something. I'm not speaking to anybody in particular. I'm talking more about mindset. So, right. And Jeff Bush, I see you there. How you doing, bro? Jeff came out to our S12 event and uh, helped like crazy uh, making that event happen. So I dig him. Yeah. So so Ghost and uh, and, and both G Webs out there too, to an extent. Uh, good friends of the channel, and they, they like to push the envelope with with the guests. So um, I can push is... right back. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, I got we can no tell. issue. We can tell. Uh, the GUS has one that, that's kind of uh, off topic, but but interesting, I think. A little off topic. He says, GAT guns, G-A-T, GAT guns. Um, do you know this shop? If so, any opinions, thoughts, or stories? Yeah, so the owner of that shop, um, his son runs it now. That's probably, it, it's in Elgin, Illinois, Carpentersville, Illinois. It used okay. to be kind of in a rural area. It's one of the largest firearm dealers and largest stocking dealers in the United States. And uh, beautiful store. It's outside of of the city limits of Chicago. So years ago, when Chicago had all like of the anti gun bans, people would drive out there. It's off Highway 25 and 90, about half hour from O'Hare Airport. Beautiful store. They built a really badass indoor action target range. I don't go to gun stores that often, uh, just because like I've got FFLs. So if I need something, I go get it from them. But um, uh, yeah, fantastic place. And they've got like, because they're so big, the uh, big manufacturers do all kinds of uh, promotional stuff through the store. But if you want to see something in person, they probably have it. All right. Mm -hmm. um, we got a, an interesting one out here. It says, Mick, do you like history? So <laughs> my, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things. So more. History in general, or do you got a specific lane or, or genre that you prefer? I like history in general, but uh, probably one of the most special. If I, if I was to choose something to read about, uh, watch a documentary about, or vi visit some uh, historic site, it would be the history of our nation. I would consider right. myself an amateur historian. I visited uh, most of the Revolutionary War uh, battle sites, most of the, uh, even the, the, uh, civil war sites. I just took my nephew to Shiloh, uh, battlefield recently. Uh, I have visited most of the graves of the 56 founders, uh, 56 signers rather of our declaration. Uh, I don't do that for any reason other than to tell them, thank you. 
Uh, so yeah, I, I dig history. Let's let's hit a little bit uh, on some of the specifics, I guess. So if uh, Mick, if folks jump over on carrytrainer.com, they're interested in the training. They say, hey, I, I kind of like the approach that uh, Mick and the guys there are using. Um, how are the classes structured? Like what different types of things do you guys offer? Because it sounds with your approach like it's really specialized for an individual. But it's not. Okay. It's not. We have we have all kinds of people show up. But you know what? I think it would be disingenuous uh, for me to not be clear about the way I approach things. Right. right. So, so the approach um, is not necessarily mean that's the, the course. The, no, we're not talking about how to cook uh, healthy lunches and shit at class. But um, <laughs> right. we may if somebody has a question. Now, let me really quick just mention... I have had numerous students on their own, not that I had anything to do with it, come to class and message me. Yesterday, I filmed a podcast and I held a t-shirt up. If you want, I can go get it. The t-shirt in our courses, sometimes we shoot t-shirts. And I'm going to answer your question about course structure, but I think yeah. this is a good time to talk about this. Yeah, because that's, that's got me interested. And dude says to me, <laughs> Hey, can I shoot this shirt? And I said, you can shoot any shirt you want. The, you know, the email said, bring an old t-shirt to shoot. Nice. He goes, well, this shirt means something. And I'm like, okay. I go, what's it mean? And he said, this is the shirt I wore when I was here last year in class. Oh, and wow. it dawned on me. I remembered this kid and I'm like, holy crap. Uh, he's, this is like a metaphor. He's shooting who he was not in a you know, like a weird suicide kind of way. He right. lost 74 pounds in 13 months. Wow. So it, the shirt, he's a, he's a shorter guy, like five, three, five, two. I think it was 74 pounds on the dot. I wrote the, I, he shot the shirt and I asked him if I could keep it. And so I wrote his name on it and I wrote the date that he wore the shirt and I wrote the date that he shot the shirt and I hung it up here in the office. And not that I didn't do that. He did that. I had a guy that lost over a hundred pounds because he felt something in the environment. You know what? I can make a change in right. my diet, my mindset, my habits. I've got a buddy now that has lost like 40 pounds in the last year by being very specific about training. And almost every one of these guys says the same thing. I want to be around for my kids. I want to be a good example to my kids. And so that stuff does come up in class, maybe um, overtly, maybe covertly. I don't know, but I mean, we have to be who we are. So classes are structured to answer your question. Uh, I don't screw around. I owned a construction company for years. I'm a carpenter by trade. I, I'm not in the trades anymore, but I kind of work like I did in that realm. I'm not there to talk, meaning to BS. We're there to work. I'm not there to eat lunch. I'm not there to take breaks. We do take some breaks. We do have lunch, but we work. Uh, right. And and we'll take a lunch where I continue with the lesson through lunch. We take breaks and I continue through the break times so that folks sit down, jam mags, have water, have a snack, whatever. Uh, they're very well structured. We've got printed handouts to follow along, like 
for our three-day courses, it's like a 50-page document. Not that we go through every bit of it, but there's material in there on, on zeroing, on uh, proper gun cleaning, depending on what the course is. And it's stuff people can take home and actually like hold on to, take notes nice. with, etc. Continue education, My, basically, with that. Yeah, yeah. I also, yeah. one thing I give students is a list of about 50 other instructors that I recommend. Oh, I very give cool. Their, give them their uh, uh, email addresses, names, et cetera. I don't think I'm the end-all, be-all. In fact, most of what I know was passed on to me by men much better than I. So I, I want to not only pay homage and give credit to those people, but also let people know how to get a hold of those folks. Right. Um, probably what, what we do best, I believe people are far more capable than we often give them credit for. We as uh, educators, teachers, et cetera, in any uh, genre, not just shooting sports or combatives. And once we create a safe environment safe where we understand what our limits are so that we can operate the guns and and move about uh and be able to communicate cohesively once we get a good feel for that we start pushing and right. i i take people that maybe have very little experience and we go from how do you use a holster how do you load the gun that by the end of day one we're shooting uh every course of fire while our feet are moving we're not shooting statically. And I'm not talking about sprinting around doing like tactical exercises where you're running to cover. I'm talking about forcing yourself to see sights or dot while the gun is in movement. Right. Uh, by day two or three, people are shooting things as small as, as uh, post-it notes while their feet are moving. Uh, in our rifle courses, people are proning out and hitting five-inch targets at 100 yards in three seconds. Uh, which is pretty awesome as far as I'm concerned. If you take somebody that's got little rifle experience and now they're dropping to their belly and whacking a five-inch target at 100 yards in one, two, three, bang, gun goes off, and you see a little head plate flip at 100 yards and, and right. farther, depending on the range. So we push people. Uh, we push people based on a very succinct uh, course courses of fire and help open people up uh, from an awareness standpoint mm -hmm. to what's happening. Shooting's all about data, targets, data, right. timers, data, uh, what's happening in our hands visually. There's data, and unless we gather that data, parse it, analyze it, which is happening instantaneously, right? We don't change or modify behavior. So the the goal is to help you figure out or rather look at what you need to. I'm not talking about looking at the target, but looking at whatever. And by look, I'm saying being aware, it might be hearing, could he some, even be using some other senses like smell at certain points. But right. we use that and, and give people the tools uh, to really become better teachers of themselves. Nice. Uh, want to mention the poll real quick. We're going to be closing that out here soon. Uh, how often do you get out on the range and practice defensive shooting skills? Hardly ever. It has dropped a little bit. Thankfully, it's 17%. Uh, leading the way monthly is 43%. So uh, if you're live, go vote in that. We'll close that out here soon. Um, and also, I uh, have dropped a couple of times, carrytrainer.com, uh, into the live chat. Also have it 
wherever you're watching, listening in the description below, if you want to kind of follow up uh, on things, I, I find the site was pretty informative. So definitely go check that out. Uh, got a couple questions, Mick, that, that kind of pertain to the, the, the training, maybe the course aspect of things. Uh, Mr. Holland out here and doesn't say what area he's, he's in. I'm saying he because it says Mr. Holland uh, says in my area, uh, there's no one who offers training. My question is, what's the best way to train if you're not exactly sure what you're doing wrong? So I'm a new CCW holder. So congrats on that, Mr. Holland. Um, what would you say to that, uh, Mick? Well, first question, like you said, Chris, is where do you live? So what, <laughs> right. like what major cities near you? Because I may know somebody or somebody else might. Um, quick story i had a friend came to america to play professional golf ended up becoming a restaurant tour i frequented the restaurant i've never golfed twain called it a good walk spoiled which i tend to agree with and he was going to teach me this is 20 years ago he's like I will, he's from france i will teach you to golf and i'm like all right let's go, <laughs> let's go golf and we never made time to do it and there was a driving range near me so i thought you know i'll go like brush up on my skills so i got like a 200 bucket of balls and i went out there and wow. looking like happy gilmore whacking balls like an idiot and i quickly realized one i don't know what i'm doing my abs my arms they're all sore from swinging this club around and i told him i'm like hey i was trying to learn to drive and he's like no 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 my friend you know i will have to fix this you're an idiot because you're gonna learn a bunch of bad things so uh that wasn't lost on me. I, as I was doing, it was thinking, man, I'm just practicing something that I don't know. And I know that the commenter's question is pertaining to that. The challenge is even if I had watched videos on golfing and, and, and tried to do certain things like that, there are people that can self-teach. If there wasn't, there would be no known knowledge. Somebody goes and figures these things out, right? right. If there was, if you always required teaching, there would never be anything new. We would just all sit and stare at a rock. Right. So depending on, I, this is a, I say know yourself. So if you're the kind of person that can uh, gather information and you have good awareness of your body uh, and maybe you have a, a tripod to put your phone or a camera on to watch yourself, uh, my YouTube channel uh, and as many others, uh, the first 50 videos on our YouTube channel are all fundamental stuff. It's free information, but there's tons of other uh, good stuff out there. I would really suggest if you can do it, invest some money and travel to get to like a one or two day class, because now you will have a body of knowledge to base uh, continuing training on. And that's things like I, I have this phrase I use and I tell it to myself to remind myself to, to be conscious. But every time I touch my gun, like right now, every time I touch it, I'm ingraining some habit, right, wrong, good, bad. And so if we're not careful about that, do the habits I'm ingraining support the goal? What's the goal to win in violence? Why do I want to win in violence so that I live a long, full life? There's a million stories or thousands of stories of people discharging firearms accidentally slash negligently inside their home and harming a loved one. Right. That kind of uh, totally goes against the living a long full life. So I bring that up because you could be doing everything right, but not have a good system and how you load and unload the gun in the house. 
or you could be doing everything right and not understand that the piece of junk holster you bought off Amazon is not yeah, going to right. keep that gun secure on your belt, right? right. You don't know yeah. these things unless you're around somebody uh, that that is maybe more of a hobbyist. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of a that's a hard yeah. question to give you a rock solid answer on, sir. I think you did as good as you could given uh, you know given what we had to work with there. Uh, she fires out there uh, says I've seen your two day pistol courses on uh, YouTube held in Homestead. She says, are they open to novice folks? Also, do you get women out there? Women all the time come to our courses. In fact, I've done ladies only courses, uh, not not because I wanted to, not that I didn't want to do it, but people requested it like a group of ladies from a church or a group of family members. They wanted to get together. And uh, I love teaching ladies. Women listen 5,000 times percent better than men. Men inject their ego into everything. Mm-hmm. Women want to pay attention to details. Uh, I, I would, if I could just teach ladies, my wife might have a problem with it, but uh, yeah. it's, it's so much easier. <laughs> um, as far as novices can, are concerned, I mean, let's be clear. If somebody is super skilled at a thing, they probably don't need to go to a training program. True. And so True. the people that really come to a lot of training are either um, the type of, of, we call them enthusiasts, you know, they just love training and I've done it. I've gone to a hundred or more shooting courses because it's fun and you want to get out there and run your gun. And, and maybe you got buddies you go with, or, or, you know, you got an instructor, you want to check out all of his courses, nothing wrong with that. But, um, novices are who should be there. I have a simple rule. You got to be legal and safe. And by legal, I mean, you know, if you if government says you can't own a gun for whatever reason, I don't want to teach you how to shoot the gun. And you've got to be safe and, of course, able to listen and, and be a good student. I kind of bark at people if I see folks on the range playing on their phones. We're not out there. You're not at the beach. You're not at a, <laughs> right. a knitting class. People die right. uh, with right. firearms. And so I got to make sure that you're paying attention. Well, and, and you don't want to you don't want to say take that out and put it on a shelf, but I mean you're you you paid to be there to take a course. Is you're on your phone, and that makes no sense. Just at my S twelve event, I have told people I'm going to take your phone, put it away, or leave because there's so much going on that it's not fair to other people if somebody's continually saying, "Hey, I didn't hear the commands," or "I didn't hear what are we doing right. next." Why should I have to keep responding to you because you can't get True. out of your you're set here. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so I've closed the poll out. How often do you get out on the range and practice defensive shooting skills? Uh, monthly at 43% leads the way every few months at 23%, weekly at 16%, and then hardly ever also at 16%. Hopefully, those of you that voted hardly ever can pump those numbers up a little bit. Those are those are rookie numbers, I think. Um Mick, want to give you uh, a couple of minutes. We are at the at the top of the hour. Don't like to run these too terribly long. Um, anything we didn't cover? Any final thoughts? Anything that you want to throw out there? Get out there before we uh, we have to leave. Something I've been working on lately. First of all, thank you so much for the time, you the bet. listeners that tuned in live. I I appreciate you guys listening to me, jaw jacking. And please um, don't take any offense to anything I say. If anything, look at me and say, here's a guy uh, with no college education, uh, just a 
dude that bends nails over for most of his life. Actually, I was a pretty decent carpenter, but <laughs> you can do the things that you put your mind to. And something I've been working on. So I was involved deeply in politics uh, from the concept of getting pro constitution candidates elected. And the years I did that really opened my eyes to uh, a lot of things and all the stuff going on in our world, in our country, it's can be scary. It can be infuriating. It can be frustrating. It can be uh, right. a- angering. What it comes down to, though, is individuals. We the people. We the people control this land. Government exists only to protect our natural rights, our God-given rights. Government does not exist to give you a place to live or food. They exist to protect our natural rights. And it is incumbent upon us to remind government of that. And I'm not talking about overthrowing government. I'm talking about things uh, about getting involved in local politics, getting involved in who runs for sheriff, state's attorney, city council, and and taking an active role in that. And so the thought that I will leave you with, this is something I've been investing energy in. My mantra as of late is do the right thing. Do the right thing. There's some garbage on the street in front of you. Pick it up, throw it in the garbage can. You might have to wash your hands because you picked up garbage, but do it. Your kid says, can we read a book before bed? And you're watching TV. Shut the freaking TV off and go read with your kid. Instead of plopping on the sofa after work, take your wife or your dog for a walk and get the exercise in. Instead of going to the fast food restaurant, go to the grocery store and buy the food that's better for you. Do the right thing. And and that might mean a hundred different things through a hundred different people, but we all know right from wrong. And I think if we can't demand it from ourselves to walk that hard line, the higher line, the harder path, we can't expect our neighbors to do it. We can't expect our teachers to do it, our lawmakers to do it, if we can't do it for ourselves. And the question came up about history. The 56 men that signed that declaration were imperfect. Uh, some of them were were liars and cheats. Some of them were slaveholders. Some of them were drunkards. They were imperfect men that chased this perfect cause of liberty. And in that, when I visited the graves and will continue to do so of those guys, I look down at those headstones or whatever the marker is. And I remind myself there lays the bones of somebody just like me that did something that changed the entire world, which gives me a reminder that me and you are capable of those same things. So do right. the right thing. Oh, awesome message, Mick. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a great conversation. If you've got things in the future, Mick, to talk about, or you you know just want to get on and hang out, definitely let me know, and uh, and we'll have you back on. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you, man. It was a good chat. For uh, for everybody that has joined us live, that asked questions and everything else, thanks for that. Even the ones that are out there pushing the envelope, we we love you for that because it it, it sparks for interesting conversation. It's great. If you've made it a little over an hour now in replay, especially in the audio podcast form, bless you, your troopers. Uh, as for this one, though, we're going to wrap it up. We're done. Until next time, don't forget to chain fire freedom. We appreciate the Patreon patrons and YouTube channel members who keep these podcasts going. If you're looking for cool stickers, patches, and other gear, be sure to check out Clovertack.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Clovertack Podcast. <laughs>